Hello and welcome to the Abbey Theatre Talk series. My name's Katrina McLaughlin and I'm the Artistic Director of the Abbey. I'm delighted to share this selection of post-show talks created around our production of Molière's Tartuffe in a new version by Frank McGuinness. As part of my role here at the Abbey, I have the pleasure of stepping in to direct some of the shows on our stages and Tartuffe is one of those productions. For me, this show was a real highlight because I got the opportunity to work with one of my literary heroes and fellow Donegal native Frank McGuinness. It's been a long time dream of mine to work with Frank and reading this incredible adaptation, which is so much fun, um, a lot of laughs. I wanted to direct it myself. It's something I knew was important to do and important for the Abbey to hear Frank's perspective on the world's most notorious hypocrite. Um, the show uh, had a very talented team around it, so it was a real privilege for me to work as part of that team. Although Tartuffe was first written in the 1600s and first performed back in 1664, it really struck me reading uh, Frank's adaptation how many of the themes are still relevant in 21st century Ireland. It's a dramatic comedy and at its core it's a play about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy as a tool for social advancement. It's really about power, the power of money, the power of sex, of patriarchal control. And it was really astonishing reading Frank's new version to see how many of these themes still feel so familiar and so present in Irish culture, even now in 2023. There's something about uh, Tartuffe that makes me think about how we all engage with social media. And in an age where content is king and fortunes can change really quickly with a wrong-footed tweet or an online video, I wanted to bring that into the production in some way, creating a production that examined the big questions we confront as a culture and, I suppose, the new underlying norms of our society. So I suppose in trying to have a conversation uh, with our audience and think about the themes that are reflected in this play, we could think of no better person than Katrina Crow. This is the second time we've invited her back to the Abbey uh, to explore the themes exposed in one of our productions. Katrina selected a number of panellists to join her on the stage and be part of the discussion on the topics of Tartuffe. The first talk uh, we chose covered Me Too, confronting patriarchy and sexual oppression. For this talk, Katrina was joined on stage by Irish Times writer and columnist Roisin Ingle and We Consent campaign project manager with Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, Sarah Monaghan. They discussed the Waking the Feminist campaign and how we've done since the campaign was first launched back in 2015. For example, is there more to be done? The panel also explored whether toxic masculinity is a response to women's attempts to defeat sexual oppression. The second talk was around religious hypocrisy. This was a conversation explored by Katrina along with journalist and novelist Jean Kerrigan and journalist and writer Kaylin Hogan. Together they discuss 
the general theme of hypocrisy and if hypocrisy is part of the Irish system of a lesion of difficult things. I hope you enjoy listening to both these conversations. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the first of two Changing the Conversation events that we're having related to the current production of Tartuffe. The idea is that we look at the play and extract from it themes and ideas that uh, are relevant to the uh, present day. Um, now, this is a, a play about religious hypocrisy, but also has a lot to say to us about women. Tonight, we're looking at uh, confronting patriarchy and se uh, sexual oppression. On the 6th of April, we'll be looking at religious hypocrisy. Is this a besetting Irish failing? Because we've had a lot of it, let's face it, uh, particularly over the last century. And for that one, we will have Jean Kerrigan and Keelan Hogan. So, Molière's Tartuffe was first performed at the French court of King Louis XIV, who you saw entering as the deus ex machina at the end of the play, to solve all the problems. Cheating Molière, but nonetheless a very splendid cheat, to get Orgon, the stupidest husband in all of drama, <laughs> out of the mess that he made for himself. The play was almost immediately banned uh, in 1664 when it was performed due to the opposition of the Archbishop of Paris, whose name was Paul Perefix, which makes him sound like a character out of Asterix, the Gaul, along with Ide Fix and Obelix. He thought its revelation of a character outwardly pious but inwardly lecherous and deceitful uh, and avaricious might encourage audiences to emulate him. How little faith the Archbishop had in his flock. Um, he thought that if they saw someone behaving like this, they would do so too. So it was performed in private over the next five years, for, mainly for courtiers who loved it, uh, and not seen in public again until 1669 when it was a smash hit. Now, Tartuffe is full of women characters with forthright opinions, which they express regularly. Uh, even though it is, women in 17th century France had very few rights. They were handed over like chattels from uh, father to husband, they couldn't vote or hold political office, and their education was restricted to learning to be a good wife and mother. None of that stops uh, Elmir, particularly Doreen, who cannot stop telling us things and voicing her opinions, and Pernell, who's on the other side, from telling us, and the men in their lives, all sorts of stuff that they don't necessarily want to hear. Now, the heroine of Tartuffe is Elmir, who's the wife of the aforementioned stupid Orgon. She takes steps to expose this religious hypocrite, uh, who comes very close to dispossessing her family completely by being resourceful, willing to risk sexual assault to reveal Tartuffe's lecture to her husband, who is lurking where he belongs under the table. Women have problems today that they didn't have in the 17th century, mainly caused by the internet, like widespread exploitative pornography and social media, which uh, focuses its bile to a large degree on women. Since the 17th century, we've had the first and second waves of feminism. We got the vote for women uh, around the turn of the, the last century. Women now, by and large, in the West have proper citizens' rights. But these are fragile, as we can witness by the rollback of reproductive rights in the United States at the moment, where a large number of states are outlawing the right to abortion, given the uh, disgusting uh, decision by the Supreme Court last year. So how are we doing here? We've repealed the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, which is a huge achievement. We have legalized same-sex marriage, which is good for everybody. Is Irish feminism in good shape? 
is toxic masculinity a la Andrew Tate, who luckily is locked up in a prison in Romania and long may he remain there. Is that a response to women's attempts to defeat sexual oppression? And what about the importance of the idea of consent in sexual relationships? So I have two splendid women with me here tonight to discuss these issues. Roisin Ingle is a very popular writer with the Irish Times. You all know her, where her weekly column commands a large readership and response. And she has weekly fantastic accounts of uh, her struggles with certain things. This week, making up a bed that she ordered <laughs> months ago, and when it arrived, it wasn't the bed. Uh, but she still tried to make it up, and she had me crying as I read it that morning at the misery of it, and finding actually it was some other bed, or possibly half another bed, and half the right bed. And she could get nowhere on the phone with the, the, the vast legion of people who are there for customer care, a thing that is much more honored in the breach than the observance. She's a very astute commentator on many aspects of modern Ireland. She's a resolute feminist. She's the person who runs the brilliant Irish Times Women's Podcast. And she's the author of two collections of her columns, Pieces of Me and Public Displays of Emotion. With Natasha Fennell, she edited The Daughterhood, a collection of essays on mother-daughter relationships, including her own with her beloved and accomplished mother, Anne. Sarah Monaghan is the Consent Project Manager at the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. She is directing We Consent, a project to educate, enlighten, and instruct Irish people of all ages on the subject of proper consent in relationships and the consequences of its absence. I'm wearing my badge that was launched yesterday. This is fresh out of the bakery. Uh, it's, you're going to be hearing a lot about We Consent over the next three years, because it's going to be a, a campaign with quite long legs. And it's going to hopefully start conversations about what consent means, and we'll be asking Sarah to tell us more about that uh, tonight. She's been involved in the abortion rights campaign since 2014, acted as campaign con uh, convener, as well as serving on the board, a founder member of Together for Yes, um, and director of logistics in the campaign to re-elect Michael D. Higgins in 2018. What are we going to do when he's gone? <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, okay, we're worried about the Late Late Show, but the Horus. <laughs> Roisin, yes. Tartuffe is a 17th century play set in a period when women had very few rights, and we've heard about Amir trying to tell her stupid husband what's going on. We're now in the 21st century, and women have significantly more rights than they did then, but there are still problems domestic violence, a tsunami of exploited porn, social media trolls, the incel phenomenon, and many other things. Where do you think we stand here in Ireland now in terms of women's rights and their progress? Well, I think we've come, I mean, a very, very long way. We had a women's podcast event uh, recently. It was our first one in since the pandemic, actually, in real life, which was lovely. It was in the Oak Room in the Mansion House. And we did it to mark 50 years of the National Women's Council. And it was a brilliant... Uh, celebration and way to mark 50 years of Irish feminism in Ireland and just to look back in such a short space of time what those incredible women achieved, Sarah as well, and <clears throat> more recently, but you know, women who were really uh, fighting against it in, in a massive way. And when you think about the, the, when you think about marital rape was legal, when you think about the marriage bar, women having to leave their jobs if they got married, when you think about the fact that there was no contraception, there was no reproductive justice for women, all of those things that we can now thankfully say, right, we've put them to bed, half a bed in my case. And, <laughs> um, and so that's all wonderful and marvelous and it was great to celebrate all of that. But I suppose I've been thinking more 
more recently. I had a woman on my podcast this week called uh, Rachel Thompson, who is a, a very good, I think you'd be interested in it from the consent perspective. She's written a book called Rough. And I've been talking to quite a few young people lately about the kind of issues that they're dealing with, sexual issues, sexual violence that's coming in different forms now than, say, women in the 70s and the 80s were, were having to deal with. So she talks about things like stealthing, which I don't know if anybody's heard of that phrase, but it's basically a man taking off a condom in the middle of sex in a, in a surreptitious way um, and doing that, so that's stealthing. The other thing of um, digital flashing, which I think is better known as dick pics, but you know, people being sent, if, if you know, if someone did it in the street, they would, you'd be able to take, go to prison, but people are being uh, sent these things. So I just find it very interesting how, whether it's technology or whether it's just new, different ways, the things that women were grappling with, like it's not like they've gone away, they've taken different forms. And one of the things this woman, Rachel Thompson, was talking about was non-consensual choking in sex as well, which is another thing I've been talking to a few young women about lately. This has become quite normalized as far as I can understand. Obviously, it comes from a lot of young men watching porn and thinking that that's the way to be during a, a sexual relationship. And then young women sort of saying, well, this is the way it is. I'll just put up with it, not necessarily feeling great about it, but not knowing how to have the language to, to talk about it. So this book, Rough, is very interesting in... Uh, I think when Me Too happened, you know, it's five years ago now, nearly five and a half, that made a lot of us think back on experiences we'd had in the past where we might have gone, oh, that was probably my fault, or I got myself in a bad situation, or maybe it was okay and I'm just a bit of a wuss. You hear people talking now about vanilla sex as if, like, ordinary sex is sort of boring and it has to be filled with all these different elements, whether it's sort of BDSM angles or, or things like that. So... Um, I feel like for younger people now, there's a whole other world um, that needs to be spoken about, needs to find language for, need to be able to put your hand up and say, I don't like that. And I think that's what you're probably doing a lot, Sarah, because it's subtle, a lot of these things. And, you know, people are in vulnerable positions, not just women, men as well, uh, as they come into their sexuality and, and they explore that. So a whole new world that I've been learning about, Katrina, which thankfully I've never personally had to deal with but certainly makes me think about other things in my life. I think we've all had it, any woman and indeed men in the audience have had sexual experiences where they've looked back and gone, oh, that was actually a violation, but I wouldn't have been able to put that word on it then. And I think it's brilliant that we are talking about all of this um, a lot more. It's not as, as graphic and as obvious as someone on a table, you know, uh, doing what, what Tartuffe was doing. But, um, yeah, I think it's really important that uh, there are people like Sarah and the Consent talking about it. So I'm, I'm dying to find out about your thing, actually. You're going to hear all about it now in a minute. She's the most eloquent person on the subject you could <laughs> think of. Um, I, recently, I heard a young teacher on the radio talking about his, his secondary school class, who were aged about 15, 16. And he decided to raise the issue of porn with them. And they were really relieved that they could talk about it. Yeah. And of course, what emerged from it, what's emerging now from the new studies about very young people watching porn as their, their introduction to sexuality, is that it's absolutely reinforcing the old stereotypes, that women are supposed to be passive and submissive and do whatever the boy wants. And the boys are entitled to demand to be dominant and get yeah. what they like. I I uh, so, I mean, that, that's really terrifying, that, that stuff that we fought very hard 
uh, as secondary feminists to, to eliminate, uh, is now making its way back in through a huge billion-dollar industry that's available on your phone at all times. And what kind of surprised me, because I did an article for the Irish Times where I spoke to a lot of uh, young women and men in their 20s, just to, it was a bit of an embarrassing article to do, but I got into it after a while. <laughs> after the third conversation, I was like, oh, tell me about choking, tell me about this. But uh, this, these, a few of the women said to me that they don't expect to actually orgasm during sex, that, that the main thing is that the man does it. I just found it fascinating and devastating in a way, just like you say, that you thought you'd come to a point where women were now more, you know, sexually autonomous, that they could ask for what they want, that they would expect those things. But these were, these were, young, these were like 20-something women who were saying, you know, don't always, it doesn't always happen, don't expect it to. You know, the main thing is that he does. So I don't know. I mean, I don't like to say we're going backwards at all, and that's a silly thing to say. And in other ways, we're so far ahead, and there's so many great things happening. But I suppose it just shows me that these conversations, it's not just a one-and-done thing. It needs to be talked about in school. We need to... Richie Sadler does great work with young men in school schools as well, talking about exactly that. And it's kind of, we're having a lot of conversations at the moment about sex education in schools. And, you know, rightly so, there's debate about it. It shouldn't be just put things in without consulting parents. I think it's important to talk to people. But we went from a place in Ireland, I'm sure everyone, you know, of a certain age in this room, where you didn't get any sex education. You certainly weren't spoken to about sexual joy or pleasure, how to give it or how to, how to have boundaries, how to understand when things weren't right. And Hopefully now that's changing. So that is a positive, I think, in terms of where we are now. There are two things I'd love to see on the secondary school curriculum. One is that young women should ask the question, what's in it for me? <laughs> and the yeah. second one is Samantha Jones's wonderful uh, peroration on the blowjob in <laughs> Sex of the City, which is the best description of how annoying it can be. Um, <laughs> and why should you do it if you don't want to? It would be great if girls got to that point where it's actually, nah, I don't want to do that. Now... Uh, Sarah, this is absolutely, Roshan is wonderful at setting things up <laughs> and we've moved ourselves very, very, uh, Seamless. very in a nuanced <laughs> way towards We Consent. So you're on stage, tell us what the project is, tell us what consent means, tell us what we're going to be hearing and talking about for the next three years. Sure, I'd absolutely love to. So hello everyone. Um, so just yesterday we launched a new long-term national campaign focused on consent and this campaign is to inform and educate and engage with absolutely all members of our society. So it is about sparking that national conversation that we all know and we've just quickly discussed has been somewhat lacking um, across across the, the years and the generations. Um, we want it to happen on a very cultural and societal basis, but also equip people with some materials and resources and supports that they can actually have these conversations that are so vital, probably some of the most vital conversations you can have within their own lives and, and within their own um, sexual encounters and within their own relationships. This campaign is maybe slightly different than others in the fact that it is aimed at everyone. Um, it is for all ages, it's for all genders, it is for people who are young and single and dating, it's for people who are married for 50 years, it is for absolutely everyone. Um, this was something that was extremely important to us in, in the Dublin Rare Crisis Centre when we were developing it. A lot of campaigns in this area focus on youth audiences and they're incredibly important audiences and we would agree there. But it's not like consent becomes irrelevant when you pass 25, you know, far from it. Um, it, it is still relevant for 
the entire duration of your life. Um, and so we wanted to ensure we were really speaking to all of those audiences as well. You know, if you if you if you are over over that that kind of threshold of being college age, there is a good chance that you have not had a lot of opportunity um, to talk about this in any kind of sense. You've probably not had the formal education piece, which we're still working on now, but you've most definitely not had the cultural education piece, which is to be able to talk openly and honestly with people in your life about this. We've had just good old Irish endless shame and, 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 and silence um, around this issue for so long. And what happens when you have that vacuum left is that it gets filled with misconceptions and tropes and, and myths and bits of things that you hear of other people that aren't really right and certainly don't serve any of us very well. So when we were developing We Consent, one of the core ideas that, that really resonated with all groups, all demographics that we, we, we talked to and tested it with was that consent is not actually that give and get that we've all always believed it to be, this kind of transactional model of one person is the pursuer and is the one in, always initiating and it's the other person's job to be that gatekeeper and say yes or say no. And usually that's incredibly gendered and the man is the pursuer and the woman is that gatekeeper. We, when we talk to people about it more, they are sick to death of that model because it puts pressure on all sides. It is not a model that is based in equality. And what we want to see instead is consent being about agreement, continual agreement, continual conversation about what you like, about what you don't like, that it is not a burden placed on one person to ask and then a burden placed on another to answer. And it was interesting even seeing the, 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 the divide in that, that for a lot of men, they feel hard done by that they were the ones burdened with always asking and then women feel burdened that it's such a pressure to be the one always to respond. And so it is just truly serving nobody and putting us all <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a really, um, yeah, unequal position. Um, and that's not obviously the basis for healthy and happy and safe relationships. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's, it's, you know, we had a great launch day yesterday. We're just starting this conversation now. Um, and already you can see people are, and as we know, so embarrassed to talk about this. We did research before we launched this campaign, one in three people saying that they're just too embarrassed to talk about sex full stuff. So those conversations are not happening. Anything in particular, they're not happening with any of those older age groups. They're not happening in long-term relationships because either they're like, oh, we've been married for forever, so we don't need to talk about this anymore, or they've had to talk about it one time, five years, 10 years, 20 years ago, and think it's done <laughs> and we know that that's actually not the case people people change you can change on any given day any given minute of any day um, and it's about that more continual checking in and and it's also you know you mentioned pleasure there and it's been such a pleasure to start hearing that word a bit more like I mean Ireland like god forbid you'd enjoy something like so <laughs> it's it's lovely to, to to hear us talking about pleasure and we'd love to really bring that into that conversation now and get people to to understand that you can talk about what you like and what you don't like and what you want to do and what you don't do and what will happen as a result of that, I could guarantee you, is better sex and better relationships and you know a healthier, happier time for, for everybody. It's just a, a good thing. I think that's why we all loved normal people so yeah, much in yeah. some ways because that was like... And they latched onto it, Connell you know? Connell and Mar Marianne, you know, when they had sex for the first time and it was her first time and he was kept yeah. saying to her, is this okay, is that okay? And I think no one had ever seen... 
certainly on Irish television, probably anywhere, an example of that kind of, you know, delicate, you know, fumbling dance yeah, at the beginning yeah. of a sexual relationship where there was respect, but it was also great crack. And obviously all, a good time was had by all, clearly. Um, uh, but it, it was really lovely to see that actually in normal people. Absolutely. And you're right. It, it's so rare that you do see it and people really latch onto it. You, you know, the, the, there's a bit of a, we should have a bell in our office for every day that we hear about when normal people, it, it, it's the one example people are just clutching onto. And so it would be great to see more of them now because role modeling is important. You, you know, there is, there is a lot to be said for education in terms of what you learn in the classroom. But what happens when you leave the classroom and then you're looking to people around you to how do they behave? What are their relationships like? What, you know, what jokes do they laugh at? What comments do they make? Well, how do they talk about people? That's the stuff that really shapes us, you know, and really shapes the culture around us. So it, it's really important that all ages are, you know, all people, all demographics are, are actually learning about this so that they can role model it when you come out of school and you're looking up to the you know, the cool lad who works in the pub or whatever it is that they, I saw they're the, modeling for The you. ad for the consent thing. Yeah. And so it is brilliant because it shows all ages. And, uh, you know, there's the two gay guys and yeah. there's the, the man and woman in the taxi. And then there is the sort of late middle-aged couple. And I was a bit disappointed. I wish there had been the woman trying to have sex with the man rather than... Because the man's kind of going... And she's like, not tonight, dear, basically. But it would be lovely if it was yeah, her, you know. Yeah, being a bit yeah. gamey and him kind of going, oh, no, I've got a bit of a headache. <laughs> I know, and yeah, it's definitely... That is something that isn't represented for yeah. sure of seeing women initiate sex is just such an alien concept. Um, and, yeah, we, I suppose, really wanted to, to make sure there was equal balance in, in, in that ad. Um, because this shouldn't be such a foreign concept. But it was, it was yeah. such a beautiful no, ad to trouble. see. I mean, I didn't know about your campaign yeah. when I watched it, and I was kind of going, what is this? This is so <laughs> unusual and refreshing, and it was brilliant to see it. It is terrific, and we're going to see a lot, a lot of it. Um, I suppose, I mean, obviously, all three of us would be feminists and all have been involved in various campaigns over the years uh, to liberate women, as we used to call it. Uh, but men need liberating too. And one of the interesting things about We Consent is that a, a lot of male friends of mine have said to me, what can I do or have that will allow me to proclaim that I'm opposed to violence against women and to sexual harassment and all those things? And now we have something, it's this badge. And you can give that to your male friends uh, and they will wear them if they're willing to have a conversation about the, the matter. Um, and part of the campaign is that it provides people with resources as to how to have those conversations, how, how to manage it. But I suppose to go to the darker side of some of this, and that's not, I know, where you have focused we consent, but the, the extreme end of lack of consent is sexual assault, rape, and sometimes murder. Uh, and you come, of course, Sarah, from the, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. How are we doing now in this country in terms of uh, sexual assault, rape, managing to stop it, people being able to come forward and get the, the help that they need if it happens? Yeah, I mean, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre now is in existence for, for just over 40 years, you know, founded just after the, the first Reclaim the Night march. So it was created to meet a desperate need in terms of violence against women and a desperate silence and, and, and a shame and a loneliness that people were left with these horrific experiences and nowhere to turn to. And it, it, it's, it's an interesting question because it, it's quite difficult in ways to tell where we are. I think where we are now is certainly that there is more 
openness and we, we have more and more people who will call our helpline now and say what happened to me was not okay whereas in the past I, I, I wasn't there but I know from my colleagues there was much more there was a lot of silent calls or there was a lot more um, immediate minimizing and excusing of what happened to them was done to them whereas that is still present but it is ever lessening and the you know for the younger generations I think that's really starting to come through of the would call and say this was not okay and I mean that's that is a really I think positive development, people are talking more, they're talking even if they never come to us, they're talking to their friends, they're talking to, you know, their, their, their colleagues, people in their family, anybody at all, and opening that up because, as we all know, across many social issues, silence and shame. Shame is probably one of the most dangerous things there is. And, and we've and had a great deal of it a around a great sexuality deal. in yeah. this country. And it has, you know, it it, it rots society and it rots people and... and uh, any move that we can can make in terms of just opening that up and I suppose with this campaign we are ever conscious that in every group in every every scenario you are in there is a survivor in that room there is someone who has experienced sexual violence of some sort you know the, the, the statistics that we have are one in three people so it is not something that is way off to one side and boxed off um, and so whenever you are talking you know uh, expressing opinions having debates that you think are theoretical and interesting and edgy <laughs> they, they are re very real to someone who you care about actually and so someone who is looking to you to see if you are safe you know if you are a safe person that they could come to could confide confide in or if you are not and that's so, a really really important message yeah one of the people who really impressed me yesterday at the launch was jared gilroy it's who fantastic. is a sports journalist and he interviews sports stars, mainly male ones, on, on uh, the media. And he was very perturbed by the level of misogyny, in particular, among young male uh, sports um, athletes. Uh, he referred to the Belfast rape trial, which many of us will, will remember, and the, the horrible underbelly of what goes on in team sports when you actually get to see the texts, which we did in, in that. So it's, but it's fantastic that there is a guy like that, and there are probably many more, who is prepared to say, this is a problem. We need, we need to call it out and to deal with it. Is this a bright, brand new day? Or is it going to be uphill? What's your assessment of it at the moment, at the very beginning? Well, I've certainly been accused of being overly optimistic uh, before and will be again. Um, but um, I think I think the day when you, you don't have that hope is, is, a, is a sad day. Um, and we have changed Ireland repeatedly. And 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 massively in in you know even in my time of, of being around social issues so I certainly felt today and we were only talking about it earlier of feeling feeling that kind of electricity you get in the air and that power uh, yesterday of feeling like there is a there is there is a movement there's a moment there is something that the response we have had has been so overwhelmingly positive people we've just never heard of never interacting with us before swarming in to say what can we do what can we do can we get involved and i think this is the right time i think it, we are so overdue to open up this conversation and to move forward you know and, and build build better and build forward instead of uh 
relying on some of the old scripts that we have from the past around sex and, and, re and relationships. Yeah. And I mean, consent. I think it's really important to talk about the extreme stuff and we have to, but I'm, I'm really interested in the everyday things yeah. as well, because I know when I was younger and I was, when I happened to be in, you know, I never was really into the nightclubs. I'm going to pretend I was a big raver. I wasn't, I wasn't really into it, but you know, when I happened to be in those spaces, you, you know, you came to accept and have to put up with a lot of male um, attention and, or just physical stuff that you just accept accepted i mean i remember one time i punched a guy in the head because he wouldn't leave me alone and this was seen by my friends as a really what are you doing this is too aggressive you can't do that but i had felt so violated that i felt the only way that i could get the thing to stop was to do that but i do think i was an anomaly and i'm not saying people should go around hitting people <laughs> in the head i'm not condoning any violence but i don't let that message go out on the stage <laughs> no no but i mean that's what i felt like in the moment and i'm not suggesting other people should do it but what i suppose where i'm getting at is that everyday stuff that happens all over the country in nightclubs and places where young people gather that kind of thing where people can start to call that stuff out a bit more in the moment and actually that other men can intervene that other people can say so that no you're not coming in because of what you did to that person that it becomes unacceptable in the way that like smoking indoors is unacceptable now i don't think it's as unacceptable uh, still as as you would like it to be no, where it's actually no. just no it's not on if you behave like that towards a man or a woman if you cross those boundaries you know but then in terms of the more extreme thing i i'm very privileged to meet a lot of brilliant people on the podcast and what i've really been heartened by is some younger people in Ireland, uh, following on from Lavinia Kerwick, who did it for the very first time, who was raped, and then she, she talked about it to Jerry Ryan. But there is young women now who've had horrendous um, things happen to them in their family. Incest, but we don't call it that anymore, which is another subject, another interesting thing. They don't seem to get um, that charge put on them. It's sexual assault or whatever. But anyway, one woman, Amy Foley, who was terribly abused by her father, who then got the sentence reduced by coming and waving a right to a anonymity and I'm just I'm so full of admiration and awe for those women because I think they are by that men standing up which not everyone can do and I understand that but when they do do that I think it's so powerful because there's people who whose families are turning against them for speaking out about these things still so that still happens we can't pretend that it's all like oh you, you you're the person who says this is happening to me and and everything's fine that's not the case there's there's families separated by this there was another young woman we had on whose brother had been abusing her and she has left sort of the family now. The case went to court, and uh, she doesn't really speak to the to the family as much anymore because they're sort of siding with the, with the perpetrator, even though they still love her. But there's all of those really sort of awful family dynamics still going on and I think that's why what you're doing is really important because it brings those conversations to the kitchen table like we exactly, did with yeah. Re repeal yeah, yeah, you know because yeah, it has to be absolutely. on that level yeah and it, it allows for for a sort of baseline which we haven't really had called we consent where, where people can go to find out where do you get the badges by the way so the badges are currently mostly living in my house, um, but <laughs> <laughs> we will soon soon have them up on the website at we-consent.ie, plug, plug, plug. Okay. <laughs> so keep an eye out and we'll get so them So I'd up urge there. everyone here to get a hold of these badges. Exactly, if you catch me out, outside the there, I'll... I'll she <laughs> may have some <laughs> yeah, for everyone in the audience tonight. <laughs> We're going to have to finish in a minute, but just very quickly, both of you watching Tartuffe, in which women are seriously disadvantaged compared to now, were you furious at the patriarchy so blatantly 
displayed in the play or grateful for the great strides that we've made in the 21st century? Roisin first. I mean, a, a bit of both, but I did find the women amazing, like from the get from the beginning of it, like the strength and their kind of ability to, to, to see through all of that. So I, I loved all of that. But I tell you, Tartuffe's tongue is going to be in my head <laughs> for a few days. It's going to be a hard <laughs> image to get rid of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ryan yeah. Donaldson, yeah, like amazing. I know, <laughs> makes her skin crawl. So we did this job yeah. very, very well. But um, no, it was... It's interesting, and I suppose part of you thinks, in some ways, things haven't really changed in terms of some yes. of the attitudes that we're talking about. But obviously, women have a lot more agency and power, and there's a lot more people speaking about things now. Um, but unfortunately, some terrible, terrible things do happen to women just by dint of them being female, and that's, you know, a long fight that we're still fighting. Um. What about yourself, Sarah? I must admit, I was quite quite enraged, um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> because there are just, uh, you know, it is just a tale as a old as time of of watching women have to sacrifice themselves in order to try and solve the problem and progress and you know out the body in in this case and and and. <laughs> so it's still just watching such an old play remade and it was a fantastic production of women not being heard and not being believed and just the entire scene of, of the lengths, the lengths we go to to just be listened to it, some, in lots of ways has not changed greatly, I think, now. Um, I think it's changing and I think it will continue to change. Um, but <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of familiarity there. And I suppose one thing that really I found touching at the end was watching the support system that exists for women exactly. at all times that. and it has existed forever yeah. and, and always will and that immediately now I'm going to be terrible with names but the the, the woman all in black coming around to to to, to the, the the wife and and seeing her and knowing what she's feeling and when no one else it's a you know it's it wouldn't even cross the, the men's mind necessarily that this this is now what she but feels none of them looked like. after that poor maid who got bashed around Jeez. all the time she moved yeah. <laughs> Great collaboration stopped. Yes. The class system remained intact. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, but course. Katrina, I was thinking yeah. you mentioned earlier about the, the strides in the West, and I, I just, I think it's really important to keep, like I, the Taliban just kept coming to my head as well, right? You know, think about women in Afghanistan and what their women and girls in Afghanistan, what they're going through at the moment. You know, it's just so that is happening in, in a very extreme way, in as bad a way as it was hundreds of years ago in in a country in our world at the moment. And we have to kind of uh, have that solidarity there. I was talking to a young woman from Afghanistan who's living here now on Women's Day and um, just to hear her story and to hear the pain of her with her relatives still back there and talking to, you know, it's just awful anyway just this a lot of the world it meant so much to her that we care about dreadfully. that and that we're solid it might feel like we can't do anything but even that we keep it in our minds all the time it's, it really means a lot sure to them. i yeah. agree uh maybe we should get a few badges over there and see if people might have the, i mean if they had the courage to wear them god knows what would happen to them that's the terrifying thing that we are looking at huge parts of the world where women haven't advanced uh, uh seriously at all we're out of time We'd love to have had a few questions, but we don't have time for that. And I'm sure you're all either longing for a drink <laughs> or wanting to um, get the, the, uh, the train or the bus or a taxi or your car home. Um, at least the weather is nice out there. Thank you all very much for being here tonight. And please thank Roisin Ingle and Sarah Monaghan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.